If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, we're going to pick up. What? You want to take some of the kids with you? This is the sixth Sunday this month, this summer, that he's forgotten. That's all right. If you're completed first through fifth grade, why don't you just take over? Follow Allison. Would you please follow Allison? That would be good. We're having a party. It looks like it. I don't know what you got there, but it looks nice. I got a cold brew of coffee, and we will be going to celebrate heaven, won't we, Tyler? Good. Sorry you're missing it. Thank you for your children. That's good. (laughs) It's good to have Allison around. She keeps us all in line. Uh, Romans 14. Let's, uh, if you'll turn there today. You know, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. It's, it's, uh, it's great to be in the book of Romans. We've been there for quite some time. We like it, and we've got a little bit more left. And, uh, but if you're visiting with us today, we're very thankful. We have been walking through this incredible letter. The Bible isn't just uh, a book, but it's a collection of books and letters written over a period of about 1,600 years by more than 40 different authors, divided into two sections, the Old and the New Testament the book of Romans is actually a letter that Paul himself wrote that is divided. You can divide it in multiple different ways, but really if you want to divide it easily, it's two divisions. Number one, they talk about Paul up front, talks about what we're to believe. The second part talks about how we're to live or how we're to behave in light of those things that we believe. And we're in that second part in chapter 14. Um, and as I, as I begin reading to you, the one thing that I want you to think about today I want, you to, I want you to think about this, specifically who Paul was writing to. He was writing to the first century believers there, Jews and Gentiles, that were in that area that made up what was known as the church in Rome. Paul had never visited there, but he had, a, he had an intent to go there. He had heard about the church. But this letter is one that Paul wrote before he ever arrived. And I think it's important to be reminded of who he wrote it uh, when he wrote it, and we're going to be learning about why he wrote it specifically today. And before I read, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful. We, we clapped a while ago. Uh, it's a blessing to be part of a church family that when we talk about specific needs, you guys are always there to meet those needs. Uh, we tripled the goal. That's basically what we did for those backpacks. Uh, what a blessing. An incredible blessing for us to be able to pour back into this community. Um, and, and there are multiple times that you guys do that. There's another opportunity that's coming up in, in August that what we call Project Generosity. And I know that you guys will be very generous in that as we pour back into our community. But we're very, very thankful to have the privilege of loving on our community. Uh, this past week, we lost a dear friend and advocate in ministry here with Jim uh, passing away uh, in that accident. And as I stood at the hospital speaking over him this past week, I had to to nothing but think about the fact of God's sovereignty and his grace in the middle of it all. You know, God is so gracious and kind, even in those times, Brian, like you said, that we don't understand. And um, as a church family, we're here to support new life in that uh, Jim's Jim's wife, uh, Wanda, and the kids as they walk through this season. But in the middle of whatever tragedy, but Jim, Jim, Jim's life, there are multitudes that are people around us that are experiencing difficulty right now. 
And somebody asked me this week, they said, aren't you tired? <clears throat> and I said, well, yes, on one hand and on the other hand, no. And they said, why not? And I said, because I can't solve any of these issues. These are all God issues. The only thing I can be is a, is a funnel and a liaison. I can't solve it. And, um, but I do know who can. And that is where all my dependence and, and my, my strength comes from. So Romans 14, 1 through 13. Can we read that together? If you would so much, please. If you don't have a copy of your word or a device that you're looking at the scripture, I believe we'll have it on the back screen for us today. But this is what Paul writes there in chapter 14. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Boy, isn't that something we need to hear? Woo, mercy. Have mercy, Jesus. All right. For instance, one person believes it's all, right to, it's all right to eat anything, but another person with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. I'm the person that will eat anything, not the one with vegetables. Those who feel free to anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge them whether or not they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think that one day is more holier than another day, while others think that every day is alike. You should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do so to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods who want to please the Lord will give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves, and we don't die for ourselves. As we live, we it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and he rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn one another? Why do you condemn other believers? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God and for the scriptures say, as surely as I, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Would you pray, Jesus? There's a word here for every one of us. Open up our hearts that we can hear Spirit, would you teach us today? May there be no, no distractions. May there be no excuses. May we not spend all of our time trying to figure a way around what the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us today, but to listen intently and say, Jesus, what is it you want me to take from here? Holy Spirit, would you speak? Because we need this word. The church needs this word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's Paul talking to us about how, how to live in light of the gospel. How, how do we interact? How do we, how do we live? And let me, let me stop for a moment and let me say this. It's a good time for just a quick, a quick question or a quick statement. There should be a difference in your life after coming to trust and follow Jesus. If there's no difference in your life before and after, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you're the same person after that what you were before, you better go back and check yourself. 
Because when you come and have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, things change. I'm not talking about just your schedule. I'm not talking about just your habits. But there is a transformation of your heart that takes place. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about a church activity. I'm not talking about the amount of Bible studies that you attend. But there's a heart transformation that takes place. I want you to hear that because inside of this today, this today could be really simple. It could be really hard depending on where you are. But today is very, very important of what Paul is saying. It is very, very important for us to hear what what the word has to say today because it is so applicable for us inside of the church. So up front inside of this text, you have Paul referencing in the first couple of verses the issue of diet and days. And I assure you that what Paul is talking about is so much bigger than what we eat or when we worship. Obviously, there were tensions that had surfaced. There were challenges that, that, were, that were being experienced that were not only in, impacting the fellowship um, and love towards one another on the inside, but there was something that was, that was impacting their testimony to those people on the outside. So whatever it was, there was, there was this tension that was happening. Now, to, to discover what's taking place, I think we got to do a little bit of digging up front. I think we got to do some excavating. And so one of the things that I think I want us to, to talk really up front about is the different types of people that were there. You had the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. Gentile believers were coming to faith through Christ by God's grace, by what Jesus did on the cross. On the other hand, you had the Jews, the exact same thing, except the fact You had the Jews that had grown up in the culture, that were steeped in the the Jewish roots, the laws, the traditions. And they would have wrestled with the simplicity of the gospel and believing that there had to be, I wonder if there was something more that we had to do. But I don't really think that's the issue that Paul is dealing with here. And I I believe that because of what he wrote in verse 6 near the end when he said, those that worship on a specific day or eat specific foods are doing so because they desire to honor the Lord. See, if there was an issue that was going on with that, Paul would have had nothing about speaking out about it. Are you with me? If there was something that was going on, a tension between salvation by, by, by faith and additional works, Paul would have addressed it because he did it multiple times in other letters that he, that he wrote. He would have been sure to address those misunderstandings when it dealt with justification by grace. But something's happening. Something's going on, so what is it? I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine that if you were a first century Jew, Both of your parents were Jewish. You grew up learning about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You were taught the scriptures from birth. You practiced and you celebrated the feast and the festivals. You lived a strict life when it came to obedience to the law and the Jewish traditions because you wanted to please the Lord. Now I want you to think for a second, you're a first century Jew being introduced to Jesus, coming to learn that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that you had been waiting for, the one that had been prophesied. Here it was, Jesus, born of a virgin, lived this sinless life, died a criminal's death, not because of his rebellion towards Rome, but because of our rebellion towards God. And for them to have a right relationship with God, they would trust him just like the Gentiles would. And this new relationship uh, with God would bring about freedom and it would bring about peace. And so the question is, how would they respond to this, to this faith the same way that you would? You'd want to do everything possible to live in a way that pleased the Lord regardless. 
And so you've got both the Jews and the Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, trusting Christ with their lives, wanting to demonstrate faith. But when it came to the practices and the traditions of the Jews, the Gentiles, they didn't have a clue. They didn't know anything about the fat sacrifices and the feast and the laws and all those other things. They just knew that they were supposed to come to Christ by faith, believing in what Jesus did on the cross. On the other hand, on the other hand, you had the Jews, the Jews that were coming to faith, and yet they were dealing with, with all of the other things that they had been, they had been brought in, they had, they had been uh, taught growing up. And so how in the world, how, how in the world do, do they disregard and ignore their Jewish culture and their teachings? They couldn't do it, because to do so to them would have been a sin. And so see, the issue is much larger here than what they ate or, or how or when they worshipped. And I think that what we're reading today is nothing more than a continuance in what Pastor Brian talked about last week in chapter 13 in reference to the law of love and how we love one another. But how does that look like? How do we handle the freedoms that we have in Christ when we come along, when we come to him? How do we handle those freedoms and walk alongside one another inside of the fellowship who may be different than us and not get caught up in all of the, the divisiveness and the secondary issues that are non-essential? But how do we allow the gospel of God's love to define our interactions that we have with one another instead? So it's when the, in the context of this that we find Paul writing, except other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. Boy, is that something we need to hear. Because how many times are churches divided, not over theology, but over issues that are secondary and not essential? How many times do we use the freedoms that we have in Christ to batter and destroy one another instead of loving one another? Another. And here we see Paul referencing, sort of defining a couple of different groups of people, those who are weak and those who are strong. Both would have trusted Christ. Both would have believed in the moral norms of adultery and murder, that those things were sin. But on the other hand, they would have disagreed on certain cultural and social practices. At first glance, it seems that those that were weaker were those who tried to enforce the certain customs and practices that were not essential. The Jews who had turned to Christ, yet they were still holding on and pressing into their customs that the new Gentile believers wouldn't have had any idea about. Whereas the stronger believers would have been those who celebrated the greater freedoms, but they wouldn't have used those freedoms for personal indulgence, but they would have used it for liberty, for love, in an effort to maintain unity inside the body of Christ. And so within that, I want to give you three things today that we want to take a look at. Three things that I think today are going to help us as we walk through this passage. Number one, the gift of freedom. Number two, the problem of freedom. And number three, a purpose that's greater than our freedom. Look back with me there at verses three through five in reference to the gift of freedom. This is what Paul writes. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. 
you should each be fully convinced, that's very important, that whichever day you choose is acceptable. In Christ, we have incredible freedom. And Paul is saying here, regardless of what you eat or when you eat or whatever traditions that you observe, God welcomes us all regardless. In other words, if God's word doesn't explicitly or implicitly call something a sin, command us to a specific action, we have the freedom of choice. There's a lot of aspects, I think if we're honest, there's a lot of aspects that the scripture may not speak to exactly. And so we find ourselves in that place, what do we do? How do we make our choices? Where does our guidance come from? And Paul says there in the second part of, of verse 5 that we're supposed to look through the grid of our God-given, empowered, awakened by the Spirit conscience. This is what he says in verse 5. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. In other words, on those areas where the Bible is silent on a specific issue, we are given this redemptive version of follow your heart. Oh, and we love that, don't we? I mean, don't we all love to follow our heart? Don't we all love to, to, to be out there so that we can do what we, what we feel is, is right? But the problem is, how's our heart? See, there's an issue. Because the Bible says, the scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Do you think there are any issues going on in the church today where one person, one person senses freedom and another person feels restriction and conviction? Do you think so? You guys are silent. Why are y'all so silent today? Do you think there are any problems in a church where somebody thinks something's right and another person thinks something is wrong? Hello? Yes? Yes, it's all around. It happens in the workplace. Oh, it, it happens in the home, doesn't it? It does. You're going to laugh at me. I'm going to tell you anyway. I remember growing up, and I remember uh, there wasn't a lot of fussing and fighting and confusion that went on in our house. It basically was, you know, whatever Dad said, that's what it was. And we went to church all the time. We went to church when the doors were open Sunday morning, Sunday night. Monday night visitation, Wednesday night church. I mean, there was, we were always doing church at some point in time. But let me tell you, there was a difference in Sunday morning. It was always a difference. Because you had to wear nothing less than Sunday's best. Are you with me? I had that little tie. You know those little ties you know, that you clip on? Your shoes had to be shined. You had to wear the shirt. Shirt had to be pressed. You had to make sure. And I remember as I got older, that became a major source of contention in the home because I would say to my mom, Mom, why in the world do I have to? Why? Listen, God doesn't care what I wear. Yes, he does. And so do I. Big deal. Big deal. The implication was what was going on on the outside was more important than what was happening on the inside. The implication is if I didn't dress a certain way, I was in trouble and God would not be pleased with me. Now, some of you think I'm crazy. We don't really talk about what we wear. I mean, I see people wear all kinds of stuff. Some things I go, ooh, sometimes I go, you know, whatever. I don't care if you dress, whatever, just as long as you dress, that's important. <laughs> but we don't have a culture here that we've thought about that what we focus on what you wear. I'm more focused on what, you, what your heart looks like. To me, that's important. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a segment of society and our church family 
that they remember that time. And for them, it still may be important. And you know what? That's okay. That's perfectly okay. Even though dress may not be a big deal to us, there are other challenges. There are other matters of conscience for us today. Can Let's just get practical for a second. Um, maybe, maybe it's movies. Some people go to the movies. Some people don't go to the movies. I remember, listen, if you went to a movie, you were going to hell in a handbasket. It was fast and furious. What about the issue of shopping? Some people feel free, feel free to spend maybe their money. Other people feel those expenditures are nothing more than a wasteful use of God's resources, and it is wrong. So how do you deal with that? It's a matter of conscience. There are some people that will purchase season passes to go watch their college football, while other people will choose to stay home and watch their favorite sport on TV or their favorite Netflix show and binge on those things. There are some people that will feel convicted about how they spend their money on season tickets, while other people might feel convicted if they stay home binging on Netflix because they would see it as a waste of time. You see how confusing this can get? I mean, there are all these opinions that are just secondary. I think Paul's words in verse 3, they, let, me, let me help you out a little bit. Let me change it up just a little bit and alter it. In verse 3, it, let's just say if Paul were to write it this way today, that those who feel free to purchase season tickets must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't purchase season tickets must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them all. For some of you, that's more valuable than others. That's so wrong. <laughs> but then there's those of you that are in the social media, oh, that's bad, oh, it's good. And it's just easy to judge each other when they don't share your same convictions. Don't miss this. One person may feel convicted. Another person walk in pure freedom. And how in the world can that be? Maybe it's because you were raised in a home and certain things were right and certain things were wrong. Not something specifically that the scriptures talk about, but then again, maybe it not, it not necessarily be the Bible may not speak about it, but maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about it and he's saying you need to move, you need to change, you need to walk away from this because it's hindering you and your relationship with me. You ever had an instance like that? See, I remember that in college. I used to like to dance. Can you imagine me dancing? Yeah, and I remember that time. God clearly spoke to me. And what was acceptable all of a sudden became unacceptable. That which I thought was fun all of a sudden became it wasn't fun anymore. And the Holy Spirit said, remove yourself. We just sang a song up here about dancing in the Spirit. Man, listen, you know. But boy, you ever seen any conflicts over issues such as that? Let's just jump in. What about vaccinations? To be vaxxed or not be vaxxed? Boy, I just picked up a mess there, didn't I? <laughs> I can't believe. What about alcohol? Uh-oh, pastor's done gone crazy. <laughs> what about the person that's grown up in the home where alcohol wasn't just used, but it was abused? What about the home where the father had too many drinks and took his depression and his anger out on those that loved him the most? What about the, the little girl who grew up in a single home where the mom tried to drown her sorrows and her anxieties in the bottom of a bottle or trying to run from her past? 
What happens when people like this come to recognize their desperate need for Jesus and they turn? You know, what happens when they, when they turn and, they, and they, they want to leave behind the bitterness and the brokenness and they come to a place like heritage? I mean, we have been given the right to walk in freedom and we know it, but what about the believers that may struggle to walk in that same freedom? What about the ones that may be weaker because of their experiences or their understanding? Is this a place of safety or is this a place of condemnation and judgment? It's awful quiet in here. I mean, how many of us are willing to forgo the, the freedoms that we have in Christ because of our love for brothers and sisters who might be weaker or struggling? You know, when you're posting the stuff that you're posting on social media, I mean, do you ever think about the people that around you that might see that post? Do you ever think about the believers or non-believers and how they'll be impacted? Or do you even care? Has it ever dawned on you that the freedoms that we have in Christ may become a stumbling block to those around you? Is that even on your radar screen? I want to give you a statement. Write this down someplace, make a note of it. Maturity isn't exercising the freedom that we have to do things that other people may feel restricted or convicted over. But maturity is being willing to forego activities or actions because of your love for Jesus and others. Let me say that again. Maturity isn't exercising our freedom to do things that other people may feel restricted or convicted over. But maturity is being willing to forego activities or actions because of your love for Jesus and your love for others. We have so much freedom in Christ, but even though that freedom is permissible, doesn't necessarily mean it's beneficial. Paul would speak when he was writing to the church at Corinth, and he would say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others, which brings me to the second point, the problem, the problem of freedom. See, our problem with freedom is that we love and desire it so much, so much, that it can become the ultimate purpose and focus of our life. I want you to think of the countless war, uh, wars and battles that have been fought and the lives that have been lost over the generations for the cause of freedom. I think about Mel Gibson. Freedom! Some of you guys just woke up. You remember that? I did that because I saw a couple of you sleeping. Freedom's a big deal, isn't it? It's a huge, huge deal. Freedom's a big deal. And what happens when our freedom, though, in Christ is offensive to others? And it's a whole lot easier for us to go, man, just forget you. I mean, if you don't like what I'm posting on social media, why don't you just unfriend me? If people around me don't like what I'm wearing because it causes them to have unpure thoughts, ladies or young ladies, it's not my problem, it's your problem. If you don't like the way I spend my money or the people that I hang around, if it bothers you, it's not my problem. You need to fix yourself. Don't penalize me with, my, with your thoughts and your feelings. And as believers, we can come to the place that we feel so smug 
Yeah, we feel good about the freedoms that we have, and we end up flaunting our freedoms in the faces of those who might be struggling with some of the same issues where we have freedom. And we feel justified. We feel right. And I think it's important to recognize that if you feel that way, the only, that is only an attitude. That attitude is, is one that, that marks a lack of immaturity. It, it marks lack of wisdom. It marks a lack of, of love. And it reminds us that we need to grow up. We need to grow up. Which takes me to our third point. A purpose greater than our freedom. Culture says freedom is the ultimate achievement. The freedom to do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to. Freedom from responsibilities to freedom to choose. Freedom to express myself. Freedom to do whatever I want when I want. That's how we find life. And we hear that message so often, time and time again, that over periods of time, if we don't watch it, we can start to believe it. But that's not what we find in the Scriptures. The correction is found in our text in verses 7 to 9. Look at what Paul writes. For, if, if, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and he rose again for this very purpose to be Lord both of the living and the dead. And I want you to write this down. And I want to make, make, a, make a note of this. The king on the cross today. One of the things that we see in this passage is the purpose behind the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're told here exactly why Jesus limited himself. He limited his own freedom. I mean, if you want a picture of somebody that had all the freedom in the world, it was the picture of Jesus. Jesus had the ability to choose to do whatever he wanted to do, and yet he chose to limit that freedom and leverage his freedom for a greater purpose. That's what Jesus did. You know why? Because he loved you. That's why. Because he loved you. We're told that the purpose, we're told that the purpose behind the gospel in our lives is whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 says, You do not belong to yourself, for God brought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. We weren't given the gift of freedom just for freedom's sake. But we were given the gift of freedom so that we could use it for His glory, not our glory. Whatever we do, whatever word that comes out of our mouth, whatever action we make, it is for Him. We belong to Him. Every place that we go, everything that we do, every photo that we put up on social media, every word that we say, we belong to Him. Do you ever think about that? Does it ever cross your mind? I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, which commands us there in 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17, for you are free, yet you are God's slave, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king, Peter said, take advantage of the freedom by making yourself a slave to the one who created you. Go back to Adam and Eve. Did they have some freedoms? They had an awful lot, didn't they? And they choose to exercise that freedom. And we've been paying for their misuse and abuse of their freedom ever since that time. 
See the gift of freedom that we have in Christ through Jesus is like the other gifts. We aren't meant to, we aren't ma- they aren't meant to make much of us. We aren't ma- meant to, to bring attention to us, but it's to bring attention to God, to build up the body. We're given that freedom so that we can make His name known. We're, we're given that freedom so that we can encourage our brothers and sisters. And in doing so, the watching world see how much we love one another and how we choose to use that, that freedom in love instead of using our freedom to pursue our own gain, our own glory. But we use it for God's glory. In reference to the Lord, the Scripture says, every knee will bend, every man will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yet how many times do we exercise our freedom in a way that causes others to stumble? And what we, when we do that, what we're doing is we're bringing harm and cause to those people that Jesus gave his ultimate freedom for. The second thing I want you to see, we see there in verses 10 through 12. So why do you condemn one another, another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? We're talk, see, we're not talking about in or out. We're talking about in. We're talking about the church. We're talking about the church family, those that were believers. They were different, but they were believers. They had come to Christ by faith. And he says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Can you, can you relate to this? Hello? Can you relate to this? I mean, this is so relatable. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each will give a personal account to God. Not only do we see the king on the cross, but we... I'm reminded that, listen, the king is coming again. He's just not on the cross, but now the king is coming again. The first time he came as a suffering servant. This next time he's coming as king, as judge. We live to God, we die to God, we belong to God, but at some point we're going to stand before him and have to give an account of our life and our actions and how we use the freedoms that he gave us. And we love to compare, don't we? We love to compare our lives to other people. We love to sit back, oh, I'm not bad as they are, you know. But that attitude of comparison, it cripples us. But it's so easy for us to get caught up in that attitude of comparison, thinking that I'm I'm not good enough or maybe I'm better than others, and it's a destructive game. And in the middle of that, we love to play judge. See, we, we love to play judge. And believe that everybody needs to live up to the standards that we have. But the reality is Jesus is the only one with the right scales. Jesus is the only true judge. And none of our comparisons really matter. First encouragement I believe in hearing God's word is this. Write this down. First you need to take an inward look. You need to to take an inside inventory of yourself. You know, what's God's word asking me? Is there something going on in my life that displeases the Lord? If so, God, how do I get rid of it? It's exactly what the psalmist would pray in Psalms 139 when he said, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. It was this guy that understood that Jesus was the best judge. He was the true judge. That it's possible for freedom as we know it, 
for us to, to walk in and, and that we walk in that freedom and there are things that we can do that can break the heart of God. Have you ever broken the heart of God? You ever grieved the heart of God by your actions? And the, the psalmist is saying, cry out to God in that moment. Is there something in my life that I need to go before and I, and I need to ask forgiveness, something that's grieving the Lord? Reveal it. Bring it to light. Because God, I don't want to live that way. But not just inside, not just an inward look, but what about an outward look? What about considering the others around you? Maybe the people around you are from a different generation. They were raised differently. Maybe if they're from a different background, maybe they're from a different culture, and instead of flaunting the freedoms that you have, what about loving those who are different than you? I'm not talking about primary issues, salvation, primary things that Scripture talks about in reference to sin. I'm talking about secondary issues or non-essential issues that are of no value. They're only preferences. What about loving those that are different than you? How about foregoing some of the things that you might have a right to and choosing to limit your expression of those freedoms in the name of love? The word weaker that we find in the passage today does it, isn't meant there to make us feel better about ourselves. It just makes us realize there may come a time that we have to stoop lower than we originally thought that we may have to to serve those around us that are different. For those on the other side, the legalistic side, the ones that have it all together and they've got all the answers, I want you to remember this. Every man and woman and child will one day have to stand before the Lord to be judged. You're not the judge. You aren't the righteous police. You don't have a badge and you've not been sworn in as, as God's ambassador to run around judging everybody. Jesus is the judge. Instead of judging other people around you, how about choosing to love them and to pray for them and praying the exact same thing that the psalmist was asking for, that God would search their heart and he would point out anything within their heart that might be of, of a grievance to him and it would come to light and that God would use you and your freedoms to love them well. Can you imagine a church that was doing that? Do you think that would be attractive? Absolutely. Is it possible for us to be faithful for God's call on our lives and love other people instead of judging them on the issues of non-essential and secondary things? Reminding ourselves that one day, one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. That Jesus is the judge. And that everything that I do, every action and every thought, that nothing is outside of his vision, that he sees it all because he is king and he is Lord. And when we believe that to walk in a place of humility before God, a people willing to lay down the gift of freedom that he's given us, to lay it down at the feet, to forego those things that we might have a right to because we recognize that our brothers and sisters around us are worth a whole lot more than any freedom that we could utilize. Paul's final thought in verse 13, so stop condemning one another. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble. And I love what the writer wrote, for there, for there to be gospel unity 
in the, in the church, there must be Christian liberty, a kind of liberty that avoids criticizing and condemning one another and that stays focused on the lordship of Christ and the essentials of the faith. That's a big word. The gift of freedom, the problem of freedom, and the fact that there's something that's much bigger, much greater. There's a purpose behind the freedom that we have. And it's not about us, but it's about him. And how do we use the freedoms that we have to bring other people along in this journey of faith? This is a struggle. This is a struggle. I am blessed. You are a great church. You are a kind church. You are a loving church family. I don't ever want us to fall into those places of condemnation and judgment. But to leave space for Jesus to deal. For us to stand on the essentials of the gospel and sin? No. No. But those things that are secondary and non-essential, don't spend all your time focused on that, people. You'll not only destroy yourself, you destroy the other people around you. Amen? Amen? There's a word in here for all of us to leave with today. For us to walk outside those doors and to be the church instead of just pretending to play church. The privilege we have to be his hands and feet. To speak truth and love. To love people. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this community would see a difference. They would see that they would see that the people on the inside are different. They would see that. And as a result, their hearts would be prompted to want to know more. So today I send you out as missionaries. You go. You go in just a minute, and I want you to go be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I want the world to know because they're going to see Jesus in you. And you're going to take something from this message that's going to help you in your interactions, not only on the outside, but on the inside. And today, if you don't know Jesus, my, my question is this, as it always is, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? See, because when you come to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, things change. Things change. Jesus, I pray today that as we walk out these doors, Lord, that we would recognize the significance of your scripture, of what Paul wrote and how it doesn't, doesn't, didn't apply just only to those that were believers back in Rome back then in the first century. But God, it is so applicable for us today. Help us not to pick up those things which are, which are secondary and not essential. Help us to hold on to the things that are primary and of most importance. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Help us to celebrate the freedoms that we have, but help us be willing, just as Jesus laid down his life for us, that we'd be willing to lay down our life for others, giving away those freedoms that we so, so much have access to, but be willing to forego those freedoms for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ that may be weaker. Use us as your vessels. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.